Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. So um, we're looking at some of the microaggressions in the book of Romans, and there are a lot. It's as if Paul was picking a fight, not with everyone, but with those Christians who still struggle, thinking that they need to earn God's favor, as if the work of Jesus on the cross wasn't enough. But truthfully, we share the same struggle in modern evangelicalism and Protestant and Catholics together. It's our fallback position. It, it has to do with shame. We've talked about this in, in other podcasts. And no less than John Calvin concluded that the core passion of the Holy Spirit was to make our brains aware of the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us right now, as we are, right? But there's something in our brain, an inner inward working model that insists that first we need to keep working or else God's not going to be pleased with us and bad things will happen. And two, that we continue to fall short of all expectations. So we are never sure how we stand with God and it affects our prayer life, our worship, our Christian walk. And by the way, that's the core reason why we created the dance, www.the-dance.org. It's for all Christians who feel like they have fallen short of God's expectations and he's just disappointed in them. And, and these Christians, we think, know that it, this can't be true. But yet, that's what we feel. Uh, and a very powerful part of our brain, that critical voice in our head is telling us that. And it cripples our joy and worship. Absolutely cripples it. So in the dance, in a, just a two-hour online evidence-based experience, satisfaction guaranteed, we just lavish participants with the truth of the simple, uncluttered gospel. And here it is. Listen to it afresh. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, not only are you now extended an invitation to the great dance of the Trinity, the truth is that it will never go on apart from you. Your invitation is not based on anything that you do or don't do. It's permanent. You aren't in a probationary membership. You are in an honored participant in the dance. You don't have to be a great dancer. You don't have to know the steps. The triune God loves you with all the love in the universe, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Spirit, and as much as the Son and Spirit love the Father. God can't love you any more or any less. And now I get it. Often you may worry that you do not belong to heaven or that you do not belong in the dance. Not so. Any discomfort is largely the result of the lies of that nasty shame voice in your head. Well, how do you experience the present dance more? How can you begin to hear its choruses and feel its rhythms more now? Simple. Good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can daily ask the spirit inside you to sweep you up into the adoring arms of the Trinity. Ask, Spirit, make me feel your love and the love of the Father and Son as I am now. Make me feel at home in the dance. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Then dance, beloved, dance. So if you've been through the dance, you know. And if you haven't been through yet, please do so. You won't regret it. So back to Romans, and the context is Romans 7, right? Paul's lamenting that even though he is who he is, an apostle of Christ, he regularly falls short of the standards that are expected of him. He has put himself in a very vulnerable position. I mean, come on, think about it. He gives his enemies, and there are a lot, 
so much that they can throw stones at. It must be important for Paul then to to handle the risk. It must be important that he voice such a testimony, no doubt providing a stunning example to the Romans and, and us because we struggle too. And if Romans ended there, man, let's all pack up the shop and go home. But it doesn't. Romans 8, and thank God for Romans 8. In Romans 8, Paul lavishes stunning grace upon us. It turns out that God loves failures. He loves the sinners. He loves the cursed, the misfit, the outcast, those who don't live up to expectations. All of those Romans 7ers, and that's all of us, if we were honest. So there's nothing external or internal that can keep us from that love of God for us as we are. Nothing. God is not up in heaven with arms crossed, shaking his head in disgust with us. He loves us as we are. The simple, uncluttered gospel is true. Well, then Romans 9 to 11 starts a Pauline emotional rant, right, that attempts. Uh, see, I don't think he's being a Ph.D. student with clear arguments. I, I think it's it's clearly emotional, and he's dealing with the obvious next question. But Why? I can see why others might get this relationship, but why me? The Romans 7 says I've messed up. Well, the answer, and Paul lays it out in a number of different ways. We talked about it in a previous podcast, and it's a bit confusing. But Paul's answer is because God says so. I mean, ultimately, that's what he says. He reached out. He pursued. He loved me. And, of course, his spirit in me gives me a new heart that can actually feel loved and motivates new behavior. Shamed people struggle with being loved. Why? Because nothing's hurt us or failed us or abused us more than relationships. Our midbrains are expert at putting up boundaries, right? Human ones and ones that prevent us from being vulnerable to God too. And by the way, maybe even more so. But there's nothing that we can do. Our relationship with God is already 100% assured. All because of the Holy Spirit we might just begin to experience that love a little bit today. Wouldn't that make a difference? It, would, it does to me and, and others. And so now Romans 12. So here's what the NIV says on the first two. We'll only look at the first two verses of Romans 12, unless uh, I get a bee in my bonnet. But Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, um, through or because of God's mercy, the NIV says, in view of God's mercy, and I don't like that translation, I'll explain it, to offer your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, or for God. The NIV just says, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, uh, which then uh, your reasonable act of worship. And the NIV says, this is your spiritual act of worship. I'm not quite sure where they even get that. All right. Let me do some interpretation here. The NIV says, in view of God's mercies, and the implication is that the participant, taking into account, visualizing from a distance, right, in view, seeing God's mercies over there, um, that God has given them, pre-delivered to them. I mean, the honest response, kind of a quid pro quo, says that, well, look, God's done this. He's already reached out. He's led the dance. You just need to follow. So it just would make, it's just reasonable that you would be cleaning up your act a little bit uh, and acting more like Jesus. So here's the implication is that we just need to be convinced, encouraged, cajoled, guilted, and shamed to be more righteous, to 
it, uh, meaning to go and love God and love others, as, li- as if loving God and others is some kind of mental choice. There's a popular book out there, Love is a Choice. Look, if that's true, and by the way, I've done enough counseling to say that's, that's just not so. People don't have that muscle group. I don't have that muscle group. And if we did, man, it wouldn't be in our brain's prefrontal cortex where we're just reasonable. The Greek phrase is headed by a preposition that should be translated through or because of. So it should be because of the mercies of God that we've received or by means of the mercy of God that we've received, meaning from him, uh, not a response. It's because we have this, we can respond now, and it's his power. So we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So the implication in the in the NIV is, come on, in view of all that God has done for you, the least you could do, hear the shame, is to dedicate your entire life to his work. Otherwise, come on, what, you're just a bum. <laughs> So a couple of thoughts. One, it's true. We should. <laughs> we should present our bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Nothing is new if that's what Paul meant. It doesn't move the ball down the field from the Old Testament and New Testament. It's true. But, and it's a big but, our problem is that we haven't, and we won't, and we can't do it. Otherwise, we would have. And if we're just relying on on our prefrontal cortex, our choice and free will, right, then you would think we could, but we can't. And if it were just a choice that we just have to convince people to make, and, you know, from the pulpit, we just keep laying it on and laying it on, guilting and shaming people that if they would only make better choices, well, if that's the case, then our churches would be full. And by the way, we wouldn't need the annual tithing sermons. But what if Paul has learned more about the role of the Spirit in the Christian life? Remember, we have said that the goal of discipleship, of spiritual formation, of the Christian walk, is not specifically, initially, to become more like Jesus. That's what we say, but I think Paul's preaching something different. He is suggesting that it's to become more dependent upon Jesus and Jesus' Spirit. That's different. Uh, to be more like and to become more dependent are two different paths. And if, by the way, if we do the more dependence, presto, we should begin to start doing Jesus things. It should kind of flow out of us a little. All right, so let me run with this. Um, if the mercies of God, and I think this is the case, is referring largely to Romans 8 and the love of the Holy Spirit, then this interpretive passage uh, makes sense to me. Okay, so here's my expanded version of Romans Twelve one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, since you've already been recipient of all the spiritual mercies of God, especially the Holy Spirit in your inner being, who regularly is telling you how much God adores you, no matter what you do, and who gives you power to feel it today, you can and naturally will now present yourself sacrificially alive and set apart for his purpose. And yes, fully pleasing to him, because that's what you are. That's what your new heart will do. And we'll feel. All right, I'm going to come back to it, but let's look at Romans 12, 2 first. NIV, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So stop letting your life, your person, be shaped and molded and affected by the world's philosophies, ways of thinking, paradigms, cultures, and instead... Let your entire being be transfigured. Think of 
Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, that's the word, be transfigured by God himself. So the phrase, renewing your mind, oh my goodness, this is a pet peeve of mine. Man, it's a big microaggressor for me. It's been abused by so many, so many preachers and commentaries. Post-enlightenment thinking has just caused us to revere the reason, to worship the mind where our so-called free will is. Think, remember Star Trek and the contrast between the rational Mr. Spock and the emotional Captain James T. Kirk? Look, this is how we see our brain in popular thinking. There's the thinking brain and the feeling brain. And the thinking brain is reasonable. It can be trusted. You just want to invest in that. You want to study. You want to listen to sermons. You want to meditate. Just immerse your thinking brain. It's the queen of the mind. We think it controls the rest of the brain. So your emotional brain, your emotions and feelings, well, you can't trust those. You can't count on those. They are out of control. We have to corral them using our thinking brain. So Paul seems to agree, at least that's what people say, is we must not let our carnal emotion, emotions run amok. Instead, we need to exercise our mental capacity using the Bible, Bible study, listening to sermons, uh, and then memorization, then choose rationally and reasonably to not sin. Use your will. Use your prefrontal cortex to reason your way around the world. Well, so much to say. So, so briefly... Neuroscientists tell us that the prefrontal cortex, your thinking brain, is the weakest part of your brain. The midbrain, uh, so let's call it the feeling brain or, or place where most emotions reside. Man, when, when it ignites, when it is stressed or, or, or feels some kind of distress, it has at its disposal some very powerful brain chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, cortisol, uh, which which happens causes things to happen in your brain causes behavior and one of those cortisol actually shuts down your prefrontal cortex i mean unhooks it right so when your midbrain is distressed feels challenged your prefrontal cortex goes offline so much for the queen of the brain and so such interpretation of this passage or similar biblical passages are highly influenced by this thinking feeling dualism or spirit-flesh dualism. Dualism was a first-century A.D. philosophy throughout the Roman Empire that suggested that humanity is made up of two parts. There's the flesh and the spirit. The flesh was where emotions reigned. It's out of control. Religiously, it's soiled and dirty. It's unclean, and you need to shape it. Well, what shapes it? Well, it's your spirit that shapes it, and that's usually described as being a rational spirit more than anything else. So this dualism entered into the church. Christian dualism grabbed hold of it and embraced it. It seemed to fit. And it goes further by teaching that the flesh is just unsavable. God doesn't want to touch the flesh. He doesn't even want to look at it. God's spirit. And we'll eventually commune with him in spirit. So we need to invest in that part of our being, right, through meditation, spiritual formation, and so forth. And so renew your mind seems to say that. Um, there was a religious heresy out there called Gnosticism, which seeped into the church. And the, the uncreated spirit, the, uh, the fake God who started all of creation, is actually called the noose, which is the word that Paul uses for the mind here. So my suggestion 
that is totally consistent with the rest of Paul and the Bible, in my opinion, that Paul is not a dualist, that while nous can be translated as mind, it's better seen to be a synonym for the entire being, the whole person, not just a subsection of the philosophical brain called the thinking brain. Nous here is the entire total of the whole mental and moral state of, of the being. It's you. It's, it's who you are. So my guess is that Paul is actually taking a shot across the bow at dualist. He's using it as a microaggressor. These proto-early Gnostics, the Christian Gnostics who have begun to influence uh, Rome, but also the church, uh, Colossians, if you want to take a look at that. In light of the fact that God loves us as we are, our person, that means we should bring it all, not just our body uh, and not just our spirit. So we should bring it all to him because he loves us as we are flesh and body. He doesn't separate the two in his brain. So in Christianity, God redeems and fills and transforms whole people, not just the spirit part of me. Jesus was God in the flesh, totally human, totally God, above my pay grade. His resurrection was spirit and flesh and mysteriously opened up the door uh, for the flesh to enter the Trinity. And again, over my pay grade. But he was not divested of his so-called flesh. He was not soiled and dirty because of his flesh, or somehow less because he was also part flesh, or 100% flesh. But again, over my pay grade, (laughs) we await the time when we too will be bodily resurrected. It's going to be very important for Paul, our whole being. So now, back to Romans 12. Romans 8 implies that God adores all of us as we are, our bodies, our spirit, our flesh, our hair, our feet, our noses, Jesus on the cross purchased that adoration, and not just for our minds, our reason, but our flesh and emotions too. And by the way, if this is not true, it cripples our sense of how lovable we are to God now. You know, yeah, he he loves my spirit and my reason, my prefrontal cortex, but the rest of my brain, no, my body has done some bad things, so it's unclean. God can't touch my body, right? Uh, Or my body is, is not... Uh, perfect enough. It's too big, too small, too thin, too fat, wrong color skin, wrong color hair, no hair, right? There's shame that seeps in. So Paul is saying to all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors and ages of people and sexes of people, depend upon the spirit who lives in your person as you are, body and, and spirit. And he loves you, all of you. All right, so let me give you give Romans 12 to a shot. Don't let yourself go backwards and start thinking like the present world or being molded into the present world's shape again. Rather, continue to be wildly transfigured by God, your entire being, you. Then you will prove to yourself and others what God really wants for you. Count on the fact that it will be good and pleasing and even perfect because it comes from God. Is there a parallel passage that helps us better understand this renewing? Yeah, Ephesians 4 Let me read uh, 20 to 23. Paul writes, You, however, did not come to Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus, in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, right? That's this world, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, being renewed. And and what Paul is saying in 423 is being renewed of your mind by the Spirit. 
and that would include desires as well. So you're not doing it. Um, it's the spirit. Uh, the NIV says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Um, that, that's the spirit. And uh, the deceitful desires being corrupted, what renews that? It's the spirit. And not by meditating alone or being convinced that you will make better rational choices from your thinking brain because you heard uh, shame-producing sermons. Uh, because, you know, you are what you choose, what the mind of man can perceive, the man can achieve all of that secular humanism nonsense. Um, and not by listening to sermons over and over. All those things can be good, but that's not what Paul is referring to. Those things are dripping in dualism and rationalism and secular humanism. Because that effort doesn't require God or his spirit. And if it doesn't require God or his spirit, it's secular humanism. Um, So if you just try harder with your prefrontal cortex, remember the weakest part of your brain, that's not good. I've heard it all, but by asking God to transform us by his spirit, we can actually begin to experience that. We can be experienced the renewing that Jesus purchased, the new heart that the spirit has given us already and ignites in us when we ask, spirit, make me feel loved. All right, so let me Give Romans 12, 1 to 2. This is a wildly expanded version, but I think it captures the whole thing. So here we are. Romans 12, 1 to 2. In light of what I've been saying, I'm urging you, brothers, since you have already been recipient of all the mercies of God, especially the Holy Spirit in your inner being, who regularly tells you how much God adores you, no matter what you do, and who's giving you power to feel it today, right? Everything I told you in Romans 8, this should be easy for you. You can now present yourself sacrificially. You couldn't before, but now you can. Alive, set apart for his purpose, and yes, fully pleasing to him, because that's what you are. You are fully pleasing to him. Contrary to that nasty, shaming, critical voice that tells you that, you know, you just need to try harder, that you're on probation, got to be careful, all that's not true. Depending upon him and his power necessarily creates an experience of love for you and for God and for others. And then watch and see what will happen. You will begin to want to love God and love others far more than you do right now. It's how your brain was created. In fact, it's the only reasonable response. Try and stop it. You can't. Why go backwards doing what everyone else is doing, trying to get significant security and belonging everywhere else, everywhere else but in God's loving and adoring arms? Don't let yourself go backwards and start being molded to the present world's fractured and needy philosophies again. Rather, continue on the dependence path and be wildly transfigured by God over and over your entire being as you learn to depend upon his spirit in you a little bit more and more each day. Then you will begin to do, right? Loving God and loving others. It's like falling off a log. And when you are filled to the full with the fullness of God, you will begin to love others a little bit. It's spiritual science. One causes the other. And then you'll begin to become the proof of God's desire for you and for humanity. You better believe that this is good and pleasing to God and even perfect because it's God who is doing it in you. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Well, uh, in this gospel rant, you can choose to like that or believe it or not. Uh, We want to get the dialogue flowing. I hope it makes some sense what I was saying because I was kind of ranting and I hope that it helps. If you enjoyed the rant, 
Please pass it on to others. Just share it with friends, your Bible study group, pastors, even family. And we'll see you next time on The Gospel Rant. I found myself on a ledge three stories high at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. In my new podcast, Billy and the Goat, I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.